Good morning. Good morning. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, today I will prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the charges against my client have been manufactured by this Jewish high council. Saul of Tarsus, who now legally goes by the name of Paul, was legally participating in a temple ritual when these men who are charging him today stirred up a riotous mob to kill him. Now, he's accused of bringing a Gentile man into the temple, which all of you know is punishable by death. And although Paul was seen earlier that day walking through the city streets with a Gentile man, he never brought that man into the temple, and they cannot provide one single eyewitness to this account. Instead, I'm going to prove that this high council has an agenda. You see, Paul was one of these so-called Jewish leaders. When he was sent to persecute the followers of the way, Paul himself became a follower of the way. And ever since then, these men have been trying to ruin him and destroy him. In fact, the only reason Paul is standing trial before you today is because these men orchestrated a villainous plot and only because of a tip was Paul not assassinated on the way to this very courtroom. I will prove all of this in the course of this trial. Thank you. Anybody else ever want to be a lawyer? I always wanted to be a lawyer. My wife says I should be a lawyer, and she says that mostly because she doesn't like arguing with me. You know how normally the wife has like three things that she can remember every time a husband does something wrong? It's me that always has four examples and three reasons why she's wrong. And then she's like, I don't like you very much right now. She's not wrong. I always wanted to be a lawyer because I, I didn't want to be the lawyer who, come on, nobody wants to be the lawyer who reads through books and charges $250 an hour. I want to be the lawyer who, who goes into the courtroom and argues a case and pounds on the thing. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Anybody else know what I'm talking about? I just, I would be so good at that. Can I just tell you? This morning, we are going to talk about a courtroom drama. And we're going to look at the, the book of Acts and how it evolves into this courtroom drama. So if you've got Bibles, open them up. If you've got them on your phone, grab them. If you've got notes, follow along. We are in the book of Acts starting in chapter 22. And we are going to cover four chapters today. Everybody say four chapters. Oh, no. Don't worry, I know, I know, we'll get through it. But we are going to see that these four chapters actually all tell one big story of a courtroom drama, basically. It, that's what it is. And Paul, at the end of this story, is finally going to get sent to Rome. He has been trying to get sent to Rome to spread the gospel the entire time. And so we're going to see that. So let's recap this morning. In case you were on vacation, hypothetically, it was school break or something like that. Um, let me bring you up to speed. So Paul has been compelled by the Holy Spirit to go 
back to Jerusalem. Everybody's telling him, Paul, don't go, don't go. They're going to they're gonna come after you, Paul. They're going to kill you if you go. But he's compelled by the Spirit to go. And so he's made it back to Jerusalem, and he meets with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. This is the leaders of the Christian church in Jerusalem. And they tell him, Paul, we got a problem because most of the people in Jerusalem think that you are telling everyone you don't need to follow the Jewish customs or the Jewish laws. And so they cook up this plan to have Paul go to the temple and participate in a temple rite and to pay for some sacrifices for some guys in order to prove that Paul isn't against all of these Jewish customs and laws. But when Paul gets there, it's too late. The mob is already formed. The Jewish leaders have stirred them up and a riot ensues. Now, Paul must be getting used to riots by now. You know what I'm talking about? He, everywhere he goes, there's a riot that surrounds him, right? And so basically they end up assuming, they assume because they saw Paul in the streets with this Gentile man that he had brought him into the temple, a guy by the name of Trophimus, but he had never been in the temple. And so they begin to surround him, to beat him, and basically they're going to kill him right then and there. And that's when the Romans get involved. So the Romans are the controlling area, they're the controllers in the area, they are the law and order in that area, and they get word that there's a riot happening at the temple. And so they march a, basically a regiment in there and they stop the crowd from beating Paul to death and the Romans arrest him. And the crowd is chanting, kill him, kill him, kill. Everybody chant with me, kill him, kill him. This is, this is what's happening, okay? And the Romans have Paul in custody. So Paul gets his chance to tell his story. To the Romans. And he talks about the road to Damascus where he saw the light and he became a follower of Jesus and his faith in Christ. And when they hear him, the crowd doesn't care. They continue to chant, kill him, kill him, kill him. It's a tough crowd. But the Romans bring him in and they have him lashed. So they beat Paul. And at this moment, Paul plays the Roman card. Now, I don't know if the Roman card is actually a laminated card with a photo ID, but Paul says, by the way, guys, I'm a Roman. And the Roman officer who's been beating him puckers. Right? He goes, oh, no, 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 no. We did not just beat this guy and find out that he's a Roman because that is a is punishable by death. And so Paul pulls the Roman card, and just then, right, today we're going to see this courtroom drama unfold, and you're going to see it over four chapters, and we're going to jump right in. Stick with me if you can. Here's the thing. Every courtroom drama begins with a defendant, and the defendant has to face the charges. The defendant has to face the charges. Listen to what happens here in this story. Starting in Acts chapter 22, the very end of 22, verse 30, it says, The next day, the commander ordered the leading priests into session with the Jewish high council. He wanted to find out what the, what? What the trouble was all about. So he released Paul to have him stand before them. So Paul's been brought before this Jewish high council by the Romans. The Romans are watching, but Paul is actually standing trial in front of this Jewish high council, right? And they're watching because they want to see what's going on with, what's, what's with this Paul guy? Why is everybody so up in arms about him? And Paul begins his defense to this Jewish high council by saying, before God, I have lived my life with a clear conscience 
And just then, the bailiff in the courtroom punches Paul in the mouth. He, I don't know about you, but I see everything as a movie unfolding in front of me. And so I'm picturing being in the courtroom. I begin my defense. And the moment I start, the bailiff punches me in the mouth. And I look at him and think, I am not going to get a fair trial here, am I? This is not going to be a fair trial if they, if they punch me in the mouth. And so Paul basically comes up with a new plan. He shifts gears. And I love the way he does this. Paul recognizes that in the room are two competing factions. It's almost like two political parties. And he basically knows if I make this comment, they're going to start fighting each other. And so he says that he believes in the resurrection of the dead. And one group believes in that and the other one does not. And they both get up and they start arguing against each other. It's chaos in the courtroom, right? And the judge is pounding on the desk going, order, order in the court, order in the court. And it's chaos. And finally the Romans go, oh, this is not what we wanted. They swoop in, they grab Paul and they make off with him, right? But they still don't have any firm charges against Paul at this moment. Now, a courtroom drama isn't a courtroom drama without actual drama. So a group of Jews within these Jewish sex basically decides they are going to ambush and kill Paul as he's being transferred between the prison and the court. This is like straight out of a Hollywood movie, right? They've got guys that are moving him in bulletproof vests over to an armored car, but instead there's guys that overtake and run the car off the road, and they're trying to kill Paul in transit. They have 40 guys who say they will not eat or drink until Paul is dead. This is a legit assassination hit, hit squad for Paul. Here's the thing. Paul's nephew finds out about the plot. And when Paul's nephew finds out about the plot, he brings it to the Romans and the Romans hear about it. And the Romans decide instead of transferring him at the normal time, they're going to transfer him in the middle of the night and they're going to protect him with a regiment of guards. There are 470 Roman soldiers walking with Paul in the middle of the night, 70 miles for a court change of venue. That's what happens here, okay? This is the drama that is unfolding. And they end up in the courtroom of the governor, Felix. And listen to what happens. This is not on your outline, but it's in chapter 24, verse 1 through 6. Five days later, Ananias, the high priest, arrived, now the 70 miles, with some of the Jewish elders and the lawyer, Tertullus, to present their case against Paul to who? To the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented the charges against Paul in the following address to the governor. He says this, you have provided a long period of peace for us Jews, and with foresight, you have enacted reforms for us. He is sucking up to the, to the governor. You got that, right? This is politics. He's just sucking up to him. For all of this, your excellency, we are very grateful to you, but I don't want to bore you, so please give me your attention for only a moment. He says, we have found this man to be a what? He's a troublemaker who is constantly stirring up what? Riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a what? Ringleader of the what? Cult known as the Nazarenes. Furthermore, he was trying to desecrate the temple when we arrested him. Now, finally, we got some charges against Paul. Never mind that most of them aren't true. Riots are happening. Paul isn't stirring up the riots. The people are, and, the, and these Jewish officials are. And Paul has never started a rebellion against Rome. And Paul, obviously, wasn't even defiling the temple that day that they accused him of. Those are bogus charges. 
But this scene and all of this, actually, as I think about it, reminds me that you and I someday are going to live out a courtroom drama. And it's going to happen in the most important court of our lives. Every one of us will face judgment someday from a good and just God. And there will be charges to face for each of us. And none of us will be able to stand before that court and say to the judge, I'm innocent. Because we know we aren't. Some may try to to make that plea, but they will be exposed and we will look sheepishly at our feet as we listen to the charges, and then we will hear that familiar phrase, to these charges, how do you plead? And we'll quietly say, guilty. And the judge will look at us and say, do you know the punishment for these charges? And the judge will say, what do you have to say for yourself? And you in that moment will have to give testimony. You're going to have to give testimony before the judge, just like Paul will in this particular story. Listen to Paul as he faces the judge here. In Acts 24, continuing in verse 10, it says, The governor then motioned for Paul to speak, and Paul said, I know, sir, that you have been a judge of Jewish affairs for many years, so I gladly present my defense before you. You can quickly discover that I arrived in Jerusalem no more than 12 days ago to worship at the temple. My accusers never found me arguing with anyone in the temple, nor stirring up a riot in any synagogue or on the streets of the city. These men cannot prove the things they accuse me of doing. But, what did he say? What does he say after but? I admit. But what? But he says, I admit that I follow what? The way, which they call a cult. I worship the God of our ancestors, and I firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written in the prophets. I have the same hope in God that these men have, that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. Because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. You know what? Circle in your bulletin, circle on your Bible the words, I admit. It says, I admit it. I'm a Christian. I admit it. I'm a follower of the way. I admit it. I believe in the same God that these Jewish people believe in. But I believe that this Jesus is the promised Messiah, the one that they talk about in their scriptures. I believe that he is God's only son. I believe that he's, he's, I believe in the scriptures. I believe in the hope that they have in God. I believe there will be a resurrection when God returns and I am trying to live for God. I admit it. I am a follower of the way. And if you don't know what that is, is that's a testimony. When somebody asks you, what do you believe in? And tell me what God has done in your life. You give a testimony of how God is working in your life. And it's the same kind of testimony that you or I might be asked to give in any given moment. When someone asks you about your faith, How do you respond? I came across this a couple of weeks ago, and I'm so excited to share it with you. This is a video clip from a press conference after a National Football League game from a couple of weeks ago. I want you to see what this guy does in his post-game interview, Demario Davis. Take a listen to this. Uh, Revelations 3.20 says, See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, 
I will come in and dine with him and eat with him and he with me. I want to tell y'all about a knock that I heard this week. A lot of people don't know this, but on Friday, my daughter, she's four years old, she had her third uh, epilepsy seizure attack. It's my same daughter who uh, survived retinoblastoma. Uh, she's been totally clear to that. But she had her, her third um, seizure, and it's been almost two years. She was uh, about a month away. If she would have had no seizures for one more month, then she would have been off the medicine. But now we have to start that clock all the way over. It was on Friday when we was a bunch of kids were over the house, and she was playing, and I noticed something was off. Um, and I told her mom I thought she was having a seizure. Her mom was pretty good. She, she saw it, my wife. And we took her in her room, didn't want to cause a scene. And she started to foam at the mouth. And uh, it was worse, her worst seizure. For 30 minutes, um, she seized. Uh, she wouldn't come, and we had to call the uh, paramedics. They came. And so over the course of time, it ended up being a total of 30 minutes. They got her in. My wife got in the paramedics with her. I got behind them driving. Um, you can imagine all the thoughts that's racing through your mind. The last sight you see of your daughter is she's totally out of it. Um, got to the hospital, and my wife told me that my daughter stopped breathing in the car twice. Um, so I'm, of course, praying. We get to the hospital. They put, give a bunch of medicine. They should seize the stop. She's laying there. And at this point, if she sees for 30 minutes, you, 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 you start to fear there could be development issues that could mess with her brain. Um, you know, she stopped breathing. If there was no oxygen going to her brain, you know, you're starting to think about her speech be slurred or anything, um, or worse. So we prayed and we prayed, and she had medicine, and, and my wife and I had to stay overnight at the hospital. And in the middle of the night, probably about 3 o'clock, I heard a knock. And the knock, the knock was my daughter. I prayed for her. I said, God, let this just be an attack from the enemy that's just trying to be a distraction and let him have overplayed his hand, and my daughter come back stronger than before. When I heard my daughter talk in the middle of the night, and my daughter, she doesn't have any develop, development issues, praise God. She doesn't have any slurred speech, you know, prior to this. She woke up talking clearer than she was talking before. Now, anyone who deals with epilepsy knows that it takes a little a few days for them to come back. You know, they usually can get back to normal wherever they were, um, but it takes a couple of days. They're groggy. It's a lot because what their body is like, it's like the TV just staticking in their brain. She was talking clearer than before. And it was 3 o'clock, and we heard her talk, and we let her talk for about 20 minutes. And we said, hey, baby, it's, it's, it's nighttime. Let's go back to sleep. You know, and I just prayed. I started saying, praise God, praise God. The next morning when she got up, my daughter was so sharp. She was able to talk to her, me and her mom. I mean, clear conversation. She's sharp for a four-year-old. No stuttering. All her words clear. And my daughter, like I said, my daughter is already sharp. She was sharper than before. And if any, of, if any of you were able to have a conversation with my daughter, you wouldn't know anything had ever happened. So we had a birthday party for my seven-year-old daughter that day. She got to be released from the hospital, and she came back home. And it was as if nothing was happening. She was playing with the kids the day before. And she had the worst seizure that she had ever had. And the next day, she's back out there playing with the kids. Now, of course, we can't let her get overstimulated. We have to keep bringing her in. Have to keep cooling her down. Can't let her do too much just because of protocol. But when I tell you, uh, I, I got a chance to see, hear a knock from God. And what I want to share is, we get to play this game and it's great. And there's so many amazing things that happen in that game, and everybody wants to hear about them. But when we lead this game, we go back to being regular people. And regular people are living life, and people are waiting for a knock. And the word says, who Jesus is, He's knocking at the door. All you gotta do is get up. 
And so on the way, man, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous, but I'm praying, and I'm trusting, and I'm believing. And I'm asking for my daughter to make it through. I'm asking that she's better than before. And God gave me just what I asked for plus some. I was blown away. And at that point, I knew, well, the game is already, the game is going to take care of itself. My, my knock had already been, been answered. And I just want people to know, like, if you got stuff going on in your life, lay it before the Lord. Lay it before the Lord and trust. And be expecting of a knock. Because the word says what you have to do is you have to get up and open the door. He's not going to open the door for you. He's going to knock. But you have to be listening and waiting for the knock. And when you see it, you have to get up and open the door. And your blessing is going to be there. Now, I'm going to be here to talk about football next week. I wish y'all well. Happy Sunday and praise God. What I love about that is they sent him out in a post-game conference to talk about football. He said, I ain't talking about football. Let me, I'm going to talk about my faith. I'm going to talk about this God. I'm going to talk. He's going to utter the name Jesus on national TV and NFL on Fox is going to turn it into a TikTok and put it out to millions of people to listen. That's your testimony. That's his testimony, right? We've all got a story to tell. Tell you about what God is doing in my life right now. Let me tell you about my faith in Jesus Christ. And someday we are going to stand before a holy God who's going to be in a judge seat. And we're going to have to face the charges. And we're going to have the opportunity to tell our story and tell the judge what happened. And he's going to say, well, what do you have to say for yourself in your defense? That's the only defense I got. It's the only defense I have. And we, and Paul, as we will see in this passage here, are going to appeal to a higher judge. We're going to appeal to a higher judge. And we're going to see how Paul did this again and again and again. He starts off with this, uh, with this Jewish high council, right? He starts with this Jewish high council. I didn't even read from Acts chapter 23. That was sort of what I started with. It's the story of the first courtroom and the punch in the mouth by the bailiff or the slap on the face is what it says in the scriptures. There was an assassination attempt and Paul's nephew gets the tip and goes to the Romans and the Romans move Paul out of there. So he's at this Jewish high council, but he gets moved to a higher court and that higher court is Felix. And he ends up before Felix in chapter 24. And at the beginning of 24, we see how he started at this Jewish high council, but now he's in front of this Felix, the governor, this Roman governor. And Felix delays a decision. He, he puts it off. He calls for Paul to keep coming back to him. He actually, he stays there for two years and he keeps calling Felix. Felix keeps calling him back and Paul keeps going before him. It says that Felix was sort of hoping for a bribe, but instead he keeps calling Paul back. You know what Paul does? Let me tell you about the gospel. Let me tell you about the gospel. Let me tell you about the road to Damascus. Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you. And he tells them all the, you know, over and over again, his testimony over and over again. Eventually, Felix is succeeded as governor by another guy by the name of Festus. And he ends up before Festus in chapters 25. And so Felix is succeeded by this guy. Festus reopens the cases. What's the deal with this guy, Paul, you've had in custody for two years. And basically, he calls the Jews back from Jerusalem to make the same false charges against Paul that they made before. And basically, uh, they asked to have Paul transferred, transfer him back to Jerusalem. Well, the last time they were transferring a prisoner, Paul was going to get killed. So this time, they, uh, Festus says, no, 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 we're not going to do that. He denies him the, this, and, and basically, Paul, in that moment, plays, 
the Roman card again, and he says, listen, I appeal to Caesar, Caesar himself. And he says, well, if you're a Roman citizen, you can, and we will transport you to Rome, which is where he's been trying to get. But get this, while he's waiting to go to Rome, and he's under Festus's, you know, court, the king comes to town. King Agrippa comes to town. He's going to end up before King Agrippa as well. In Acts 25 and all of 26, we see he has this conversation between King Agrippa and Festus. And Festus shares a case with Agrippa. And basically, he says, I, I, there's no real charges against this guy. I don't know what to do with him. But you got to hear from him. He's, he's sort of wild, the, the things that he says. And so Paul makes his defense. But Paul isn't really making a defense. He's basically giving the good news. He's over and over again giving his testimony and preaching the good news. Through all of this, his opportunity at court has been, he has shared the good news with the Jewish high council, with the good news with Felix and Festus, and now Agrippa. He's done it between two governors, Roman governors, and now a king he's been able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with. And we see that this was all foretold. In Acts chapter 9, we see that this was foretold ahead of time. It says, but the Lord said, go... For Saul is my what? He's my chosen instrument to take my message to who? He's planted churches all over the Gentile world and to what else? He's literally standing before a king right now telling them about Jesus as well as to the people of Israel. And that leads us to the two most tragic words in the New Testament. And here's what they are. Almost persuaded. They were almost persuaded. I'm going to read to you from Acts 26, starting in verse 20. This is a little bit longer passage. Stay with me. He says, I preach first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem. Paul's talking here and through all, all Judea and also to the Gentiles that all must what? Repent of their sins and what? Turn to God and prove that they have changed by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time so that I can what? Testify to everyone, from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead. And in this way announce God's light to the Jews and the Gentiles alike. Suddenly, here's Festus's response. Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you what? Anybody ever took midterms and felt that way? You've been studying too long and you lost your mind. But Paul replied, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is the sober truth. And then he turns and he says, and King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly for I am sure these events are familiar to him for they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, you believe in the prophets. I know you do. Agrippa interrupted him and he said this. Do you think you can what? Persuade me to become a Christian what? You think you can persuade me to become a Christian that fast? You think that's all it takes to persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both of you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I, except for these chains. Then the king, the governor, Bernice, and all the others stood 
and left. So Paul's talking to both Festus and the king, and Agrippa says, you think you can make me a Christian so quickly? The New King James Version says it this way. The New King James Translation says, then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Those are the two saddest words in the New Testament. And I'll tell you why. Festus dismissed him as insane. Agrippa just stopped short. He believed. You could tell Paul knew he believed, but he just stopped short. He was almost persuaded, but he stopped. And in verse 30, it says they stood and they left. And get this, there is no record anywhere in Scripture that either of these men ever made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Can you imagine standing before God, the judge, and he says, I see that you were told the good news about my son. I see that it was explained to you clearly. And you didn't respond? Is that right? Can you imagine that moment? A few weeks ago, maybe six weeks ago, I was sitting in that office where we do the five-minute party after our services, just to the left of that fireplace out there. And someone from our church had brought his neighbor to church for the first time. And I knew this story, that this neighbor had been going through a really hard time. And, and, and this guy had been witnessing to his neighbor and, and really like commiserating and, and walking along this very hard path with this neighbor over months and months and months and months and months. And he finally convinced him to come to church this Sunday. And he was like, Steve, 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 he's here, he's here, he's here. You've been telling me about this neighbor, and I knew it. And I was like, wow, wow, that's cool. So he sat through the service, he heard the whole thing, and then he brought him back to the five-minute party. And as we sat down and began to talk over there, he told me the story of this very painful divorce he was going through. Very painful. And in that moment, me and, and my friend, we... We uh, gave him the good news. We told him the gospel clearly. We, we shared exactly who Jesus is. We shared who God is and, and how he could meet him in the middle of this difficult time. And he could forgive his sins of the past. And, and he could walk with God and begin to heal and move forward regardless of what happens in this broken marriage that he was dealing with. And we shared it to him very clearly. And then we asked him, do you want to do that? And he said, I'm just not ready. I'm just not ready. And we said, well, keep coming back. Come, keep coming back to church. Keep coming to Wednesday nights. And we have community groups and men's groups. We'd love for you to be involved in some of those. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. And he walked out that day. It's a few weeks later, and I'm on vacation, and I get a phone call uh, from my friend. And he says, Steve, pray, man. you got to start praying right now. Pray. There are five police cars outside of my neighbor's house. And we began to, we prayed on the phone together for a minute, and, and we were praying, and then um, we hung up, and he called me back maybe 30 minutes later, and he said, Steve, he goes, it's bad. He goes, uh, his estranged wife showed up at the house, and he shot and killed her. And then he took off in the car and turned the gun on himself. We were that close sitting in that office right there. We were that close. He was almost persuaded, but, but not quite. 
We don't get another chance. Those are the two most tragic words in the New Testament. And you may be here today and you're walking around and you are almost a Christian. You are almost a believer. You have almost crossed that line. You've got a foundation of faith. Grandma or mom and dad brought you to church. You went to Sunday school. You've heard the stories. Maybe you've even gotten to the place where you know there is a God. You look around this world and you think this couldn't have happened by accident. I know there's a God. And you've heard about this guy, Jesus, and and all that the Bible claims about him. And you know the hope even that these Christians have. You're like, there's something weird about you guys. You have hope and peace in times when I wouldn't. But you stop short of actually making that decision. You stop short of actually saying, I want to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You are almost a Christian. You are so close. Let me tell you something. It is so, God has made it so simple. All you have to do is believe and accept him. Jesus is who he says he was. Jesus is who Paul says he was. You have to accept this free gift of eternal life. And he's offering that to you today. You say, what do I got to do, Steve? Well, it's pretty easy. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says this, if you believe in your heart, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believe in your heart and declare that Jesus is who he says he was. Give your testimony and say, I admit I'm a follower of the way. And all of that leads me to... So what, Steve, what do we do with this? Well, let me tell you something. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've been a believer in Jesus Christ today and you've already trusted him as your Lord and Savior, I want you to see the pattern in this passage. Paul used every opportunity, every single opportunity to share his testimony. Anytime he was given an open door, he said, let me tell you about it. You put him up in front of an NFL press conference, he'd say, let me tell you about it. He he used every opportunity, and he did it to Festus and Felix and Agrippa and the Jewish High Council and every synagogue he ever walked into. He said, let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you. And your faith, sharing your faith doesn't have to be profound. It doesn't have to be a legal debate. It should be short and simple, just like Demario Davis did up there, right? Here's what I was like before I met Christ. This is what God is doing in my life. This is how Jesus changed me. I ain't perfect, but he's changing me and he's continuing to change me. And sometimes when you do that, you're going to be planting seeds. And sometimes you're going to be watering some spiritual seeds that others have planted. And some days you will get the privilege of watching that seed sprout into new life. I promise you. Someone is going to go from almost persuaded to actually persuaded. Let me explain it to you this way if you are still on the fence and almost persuaded. I want to tell you a great story about a guy by the name of Fiorella LaGuardia. LaGuardia was the mayor of New York City. You mostly know because his airport is named after him. LaGuardia Airport is named after this guy. And Fiorella LaGuardia was the mayor of New York during the Great Depression and in World War II. Um, 
And they called him in New York the little flower because he was five foot four. He wore this little carnation on his lapel everywhere he went, and he was adored by New York City. He used to ride around on the fire trucks with the firefighters. Uh, he used to raid speakeasies with the police department. Um, he would take entire orphanages to, the ba- uh, to a baseball game. And whenever the New York newspapers were on strike, he'd go on the radio and he'd read the funny papers to everybody who would listen. Anyway, one bitterly cold night in 1935, LaGuardia showed up at one of the night courts in the poorest wards of the city, and he released the judge for the night and sat in to be the judge himself on this evening. And within a few minutes, this old lady showed up, and she was called before the judge, and the charges against her were she had stolen a loaf of bread. And she told LaGuardia that her daughter's husband had walked out on them, her daughter was sick, and that her grandchildren were literally starving to death. But the shopkeeper who owned the shop where she stole the bread refused to drop the charges. He said, it's a really bad neighborhood, Your Honor. You've got to do something about this. She has to be punished to teach the other people a lesson. And the mayor, LaGuardia, sighed, And he said, I got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. It's $10 or 10 days in jail. But even as he was doing that, he was pulling money out of his own wallet. And he pulled out a sombrero. He was sort of famous for running around his sombrero. And he put the $10 into the sombrero. And he said, here's the $10 for which I now remit. And furthermore, I am going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines. And he walked around and he said, 50 cents. That's not 50 cents. We take Venmo? Come on, you know. 50 cents, anyone? Nobody carries change anymore. He took the 50 cents and the $10 he had put in there, and he handed the sombrero to this little old lady who received it filled with $47.50 that had been given by everyone in the courtroom, including 50 cents from the shopkeeper himself. And they said that those about 70 people in the courtroom all rose and began to applaud wildly for what Mayor LaGuardia had done. This is the picture of what Jesus has done for you. He paid the price. He paid the fine. My last point is a a really simple one. It's this. We see so clearly in this story, right? That Jesus paid the fine for your crimes. It's already been paid. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And the penalty has been paid. And your case has been dropped. The penalty has been paid and your case has been dismissed. All you gotta do is receive the sombrero. That's it. And you can do that today by praying this simple prayer. The sinner's prayer sometimes gets a bad rap because people say, I don't see it in Scripture. But there has to come a moment where you say, God, I surrender myself to you. So instead of creating some sinner's prayer, why don't we just say the sinner's prayer that we see so clearly in Scripture in Psalm 51? 
Let me read this to you. It says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. And someone here today, maybe you are almost a Christian. Today is your day, and you need to make this passage your prayer today. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom, even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is what? It's a broken spirit, and you will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Would you just bow your heads with me wherever you're at? And some of you today, this is the day you hear God calling your name right now. There's no denying it. He is calling your name, and it's time for you to cross the line from an almost Christian to an actually persuaded believer in Jesus Christ. If that's you right now, wherever you're at, if you know today's the day God is calling me to make that decision, would you shoot up your hand and just make eye contact with me? Anyone out there who's ready to make that decision today? If you are ready to make that decision, fire up a hand and... And make eye contact with me. God, I I pray that you would continue to stir in our hearts the desire to share your testimony. Our testimony. God, of who you are and what you've done in our lives, God. Continue to show us how we can tell the truth about your son and the payment that he has already paid for us, Father. Let us be your people who shout your name from the rooftops and tell about your sacrifice and the cross to anyone who will listen. God, we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus himself. Amen.